This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Welcome to Culture and Value. My name is Mark English. When we write or speak, we reveal ourselves to others in ways of which we are often unaware. You can say a person reveals himself in or herself in the way he or she moves or dresses also. But language is special and um, it's my focus. Specifically, I'm talking about close reading. For years now, I've been in the habit of spending rather too much time contributing to comment threads on various blogs and other forums. Most of these discussions are probably of little significance in the scheme of things. You see genuine attempts at communication, but usually these are swamped by posturing, grandstanding, boasting, by people trying to score points, trying to impress, etc., or worse, mocking or trying to humiliate others. The normal constraints of politeness, which still to some extent apply in flesh and blood encounters, have little hold in the digital realm. This is well known. It's a bit like drivers on the road, only worse. Anyway, embedded in these comment threads are our personalities or aspects thereof, including our weaknesses and flaws for all to see if anybody's interested to look and do a careful, dispassionate analysis. But the pace of life is such that this rarely happens. Close reading is a dying or lost art. Even so, even a fairly cursory reading reveals a lot. When you uh, read, <coughs> excuse me, when you read a comment, or for example, hear a snide remark, you intuitively pick up something about the writer or speaker. So you're not picking up just the intended meaning of the comment or remark you're gleaning something, often something significant, about the person making the comment. The Viennese satirist and critic Karl Krauss was reputedly at least a master of close reading. His English translator J.P. Stern wrote this of Krauss, quote, Gradually after 1905, it is borne upon him that language, that is the way a statement is made, bears within itself all the signs he needs to understand the moral and ethical quality of that statement and of him who made it. Conversely, it is only necessary to read a statement in a way that is supremely sensitive to all its linguistic qualities in order to discover its truth. If only you understand the grammar of a language well enough, you will find that lies are violations of the grammar, that is, of the spirit of the language. Now, I distance myself from any talk about the spirit of a language or the spirit of a culture. It was once very common and uh, is associated with certain traditions of thought within linguistics and cultural history, which were influenced by philosophical idealism. In fact, the very notion of a language or a culture is, is suspect. Um, it can be called into question, but I'll leave that, that aside for now. Um, I'm saying that there is an important reality which thinkers in the tradition of thought I mentioned, which was influenced by idealism, which they saw and which was ignored or at least neglected by those taking a more self-consciously scientific or um, 
reductionist approach to the study of language. I'm, I'm talking about the notion of style, taking that notion seriously. Close reading is all about style. On one level, style is always language-specific. You can't generalize about it. In fact, it's situation-specific. But the general point that um, Stern was making, and that um, Krauss, in, in effect, was making, about stylistic factors being significant in more than a purely aesthetic sense is generalizable. He, um, Stern that is, uses fancy language. Um, but um, I'll try to bring this down to earth. At a very basic level, we know that children, when they're lying, small children, betray themselves in the way they speak. Their very style of speaking gives them away to an observant parent. This general idea plays a role in Taoist thought, I understand. Listening very carefully, Taoists believe, you can tell whether a person is lying or not. And this involves not just tone of voice, etc., but also syntax, the way the words and statements are configured. This is the sort of thing that Klaus was, Krauss, I should say, was famous for. It's predicated on the idea that even relatively sophisticated speakers give themselves away through stylistic anomalies and so on, and the skilled interpreter can pick up on these anomalies, these telltale signs that something is not quite right and the statement is designed to mislead. Um, they conclude that the statement is designed um, to mislead or is in some other way revealing, like a Freudian slip, for example. Freudian slips are a bit different but they fit into the same general category. This is Stern again, summarizing Krauss's views. Quote, if writers and speakers fully realized what they say and write, if they saw and felt the full impact of the verbal reality that inheres in their words and has only to be uncovered to, to make its effect, then they would write and speak differently, and indeed live differently. This, I think, is a very important point. And a story told by the composer Ernst Krenick makes a similar point. Krenick is describing a meeting he had with Krauss in Vienna in 1932. Quote, at a time when people were generally decrying the Japanese bombardment of Shanghai, I met Karl Krauss struggling over one of his famous comma problems. He said something like, I know that everything is futile when the house is burning, but I have to do this as long as it is at all possible. For if those who were, were supposed to look after commas had always made sure they were in the right place, Shanghai would not be burning. It's easy to make fun of such statements, but there's a grain of truth here. As there is in the central claims of those linguists and cultural historians who used forms of expression deriving from philosophical idealism. Their main focus was style, which they saw as going beyond a narrow conception of the aesthetic, beyond the merely aesthetic, if you, if you like. This is my point too. A sensitivity to style goes beyond the merely aesthetic. Krauss 
is no ivory tower aesthete. He's keenly aware of the cultural tides and currents of his time and place. He recognises that the house is burning, that is, that the old world order is rapidly unravelling around him. But he's saying that we individuals can still, as individuals, stand by the values and ways of living we believe in.